We're going to read Galatians chapter 5 again. Remember, we're talking about these two lists, the products of the flesh and essentially the products of the Spirit, what the two will produce in us. Paul says to the Galatians in chapter 5, starting in verse 13, You, my brothers and sisters, are called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. God, if we could get that one right. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh... For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other. So that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. So he goes for the first list. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there's no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit and let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. So those are the two lists that we're looking through, comparing our lives to, am I I fulfilling more fleshly desires or am I being fruitful? So I've read this scripture a lot actually and I I, kind of paraphrase it all the time but we're going to use it today 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 6 Paul is writing to the his second letter to the Corinthians and he's encouraging them to be generous we're going to talk about money today just just looking to the panic Paul is talking to them the Jerusalem church is suffering they're in poverty they're in persecution. Paul is writing to, for the Corinthians to fulfill a commitment they've made. So he says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each one, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly. God is able to bless you abundantly. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times look at your neighbor and say all things at all times if I could ever drive that into somebody's head God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times he's saying everything you need all the time you will abound in every good work As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way. He's repeating himself here. He's repeating himself. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform... 
is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. I'm reminded of James right here where he says, faith without works is dead. Paul says, the obedience that accompanied your confession. He says, in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. God, we thank you for your word today. We pray in this season where we're taking them taking an assessment of ourselves. We pray, Lord, that you'd help our finances to align up with your word. And Lord, we pray that we'd be aligned so the blessing of God could pour out in our lives, not just to be consumed, but to be used for your glory. We pray that this generation of this church will be known as a generous one. We pray that our history would be told of us, that we were generous people willing to do whatever it took to see the gospel advance. We pray, God, that we'd be known for putting you first. Thank you for it. Let it start today. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, and everyone said amen and amen. You may be seated. It's one of my favorite scriptures because it's a, Paul is uh, encouraging generosity, but he's also highlighting the fact that God will always provide no matter what. That if we can have a heart of generosity, that there's no limit to how much God can supply in our lives to compensate for it. And so Paul is writing to the Corinthians uh, in hopes that they will make good on a promise that they have already made to support the Jerusalem church. And Paul writes, he starts out with a common known uh, parable. He said, you know that if you sow sparingly, you will also reap sparingly. If you sow generously, you reap generously. And so um, I started thinking about that Paul is, through this whole thing, Paul is actually saying that we get to decide the harvest. He's saying that That God never puts a limit on anything. The limitations are put on by us. And so he says that if you sow sparingly, the expectation is at the harvest time will be the same. If you sow generously, the expectation of harvest time should be the generous harvest. And, And that sounds like common sense in every other circumstance besides money, right? If you sow a lot of seed in the ground, then you'll reap a lot of harvest from it. If you sow a minimal amount of seed into the ground, then you're going to sow a minimal harvest. The problem is we're always shocked by the harvest. I actually don't ever think you should be shocked by the harvest. I, I don't think we be, should be shocked. I think, I think we, we tend to forget what we sowed in April, and then when September comes around, we're like, oh man, there's not enough tomatoes here to make salsa. But if we remember, we didn't put that many plants in the ground. And so uh, I kind of look at my life at times and I say, I'm getting the harvest that I planted. Come on, you're going to have to help me out here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feel like you're, you're against me from the beginning. We'll get to you being frustrated about money sermons here in a little bit. I got a really good illustration for that. So... Paul is saying the harvest depends on us. 
that God enjoys blessing people, especially people who enjoy planting. Isn't that cool? So here's, here's the thing that I thought about. When I plant here on earth, when I, when I take seeds and, and we go out in the garden and put seeds in the ground, there's a lot of things that that seed then depends on. My son just found this out. He planted some, he planted some stuff in the garden he made and uh, toiled the soil, did all that stuff, and they put seeds in. And then, and then the problem is, is that he has to water it. And so uh, when he has to water it, when, when the growth is dependent on him, then, then sometimes he forgets to water it. And I didn't realize a zucchini plant would die overnight. We picked zucchini off this thing one morning, and the next morning it was dead. And uh, I told my son that God was rebuking him for his slothfulness. I said, this is a metaphor for your life, Carter. I didn't say that. If you're going to be slothful, things around you are going to die. Look at it. It's just the way. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. But it would have been good if I did. That would have been a great illustration. So anyway, uh, I I was shocked by it because we were just standing off. uh, But what I realized was it was dependent on us to water it. Now, generosity is not is dependent on us to put it in the ground, but God always makes sure that the soil for generosity produces. That's exciting. He says, if you will plant it, I'll make sure there's a harvest. See, that's different than than farming in ways because in farming, I'm depending on sometimes me to water it. God says, listen, you sow in generosity and you'll reap, period. You sow greatly, you'll reap greatly. You sow, you sow scantily, you'll reap scantily. So he's saying, I am the one that provides the water for it. The way you get, the way, the way you get a bigger harvest is that you just have to plant it. So watch this. If God is, if the soil is constantly good, then I'm the only factor in how much the harvest is. So, so, so it's not like farming here on earth where it's like, oh man, we had a drought. Oh, we, we had a late freeze. Oh, we had pestilence or whatever. And, and it's not like that. God says the, the, the ground for generosity is always rich. It always rains. It's always producing. The issue is, is how much seed you put in the ground. So Paul says the harvest is dependent on you. You get what you put in the ground. He says, you know how this works. You've heard, you've heard this before. If you sow sparingly, don't be shocked about a sparing, uh, about a little harvest. And so oftentimes what we do is we wake up and we go, God, it doesn't seem like enough. And he goes, I don't think you put enough in the soil. I don't, I don't think you put enough in the soil. And sometimes in my life I had to ask myself, oh, I'm reaping what I sowed. Man, have you ever been into a financial planner's office? You can raise your hand if you have. One percenters. No. If you've ever been into a financial planner's office and, and you walk in and you start talking about retirement, here's what they will say across the board to every one of you, no matter what age you are. 
Put in as much as you can, as soon as you can. They don't go, oh, you're 25, man. You got 30 years before you need to worry about this. No, no, no. They say, start right now as much as you can. Right now, as much as you can. Hey, when should I start thinking about retirement? Right now. You're 12. You're, I mean, you got to start thinking right now. You can't depend on the government. You got to start right now. Buy gold, right? It's like 14 years old. What do you have for Christmas? Gold. Just give me solid gold, mom. Just bring it by the truckloads. No, that's not an endorsement. I just hear it on the radio. So what happens is wise investment planners on the earth here will say, when should you plan for a harvest? You should plan right now. Put it in and put as much in as you can. And then the beautiful thing is if you work for somebody that does a matching program, that's free money, baby. Free money. Think about it. I think it's pretty common for people, companies match like between three and six percent. If you got it over six percent, you got the golden parachute. I mean, it's crazy. So the financial advisor will say, one of the first things they'll ask is say, hey, do you have any matching funds at your work? Yeah, they matched me four percent. Well, how much should I put in? Four percent. Because up to four, they're going to give you the money for nothing. You just, you just put 4% of your money in and then magically 4% of their money pops in it. It's free money. Well, I don't know if I want to take advantage of that. I feel like I'm stealing from the company. No, no, no. It's fine. So your investment advisor will say, hey, if your employer matches, do it, man. When do I do it? Do it right now. As much as they'll match. The beautiful thing about this is Paul says God has a matching investment program. Only here's what happens with God. He not only matches you 6%. After you've given, he goes, here's 6%. I'll match the investment. And then just Christmas bonus. Bang. Throws it all on you. Because Paul says that not only does he do the regular harvest thing, he'll make sure that when you when you live a life of generosity, that not only do you have enough to meet your needs, but he'll provide over an abundance for you so that you continue to be generous. So what he's saying, he's saying we get to decide what that looks like. This is a guaranteed investment program. It never goes down. You guys don't invest in the stock market, do you? You're like, I thought all of them went up all the time. No, there's no risk in this. This is the only investment program where there are no risk. Paul says every time you can expect the harvest. If you sow generously, you can expect a generous harvest. In the earthly world, you can sow generously and expect somebody to steal it. That's what happens sometimes. You can expect risk. You can expect the market to go up and whatever comes up goes down. You can expect risk. You can expect to lose and make and lose and make and lose and make. And at the end of it, you hope to end up between 6 and 8% on the good. And it will say, well, it's a good year. I made 6%. It's awesome. And, and we'll be all excited. God says, no, every year that you sow is an abundant harvest with me. It's a guaranteed Retirement plan. God, God has never had a down economy. 
Do you realize that? God never went, ooh, things are tough around heaven now. Man, Peter invested in that mutual fund that tanked last year. We've had to pull everybody's blessings back. It's not, it, that's not the way it works. He says, if you will sow generously, the guarantee of reaping generously. Now, one of the things you have to remember is that Paul was writing this letter with the expectation that they had already thought about it. That's important. And I'm going to stay on this for a little while because Paul was writing with the expectation they had already made their minds up. How do I know that? He says this specifically. He says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Verse 7. Each of you should give what you have, have already, what you have the side dead. Now, I'm not an English major, but that sounds like past tense. Right? Each of you should give what you are decided. No, no. Have decided. In your hearts. What you have decided. So he's saying the decision has already taken place. Now this is very important because the next thing he says is not to give reluctantly or under compulsion. And we're going to get that in a second. But he says each of you should give what you have already decided. What you have decided in your hearts to give. So what that tells me is they were, there, was, there, there was already some thought that went into what they're giving. It means it wasn't a spur of the moment gift. Now, we, we changed the way we uh, do generosity here in the church. We used to have people walk up front here and hold a plate. Everybody would get nervous. There he is. Got the plate. Haven't wrote my check out yet. Didn't bring any cash. It's going to be fine. I'm just not going to make eye contact. It's not, I'm not even going to look up. We would pray. They would stand here. We would pray. And, and the guy's here, actually, in this service. I shook his hand. Uh, inadvertently when he came in, but um, I would sit here and, and he would come through and he would stop in my chair and look at me. And then he would take the plate and bump me on the arm with it. And I'm looking, I'm like, dude, I'm the pastor here. Keep walking. My wife gives on line. Now he's, he's being funny about it. But what happens is you realize what I realized was, is I don't want people giving where they, where they haven't thought about it. Because if I'm thinking about generosity, it's causing me to align myself with the Spirit of God. I, I don't want to give at the spur of the moment. I want to have it be thought out. God, this is, I'm aligning my life, so this is not spur of the moment. I got five bucks, I'm dropping in the plate. No, we've, we've aligned our lives with your work in us and what you've called us to do. So this is what we have already decided. It can't be under compulsion if I've already made up my mind. Amen? You can't force me to do what I've already decided to do. It's, it's, it's just something, I came to church ready this morning. I knew what was going to happen when I got here and I was ready. Now, now, now we have all kinds of opportunities. We, we do the, we do the envelope. You can go to the website. You don't even, you, you could, you could walk out the back door and go, huh, I gave yesterday. I already thought about it. 
Paul says, do what you have already thought about. It's an indication that they had already had a conversation with God. So my thing is that I should be having this constant conversation with God because what I find out is that I'm the one that gets determined the harvest. So God, if if the harvest looks kind of weak, I, I want to have a conversation with you to see if I can increase that a little bit. So it's this, Lord, am I accomplishing all that you would have me accomplish? Am I doing all that you would have me to do? And so there's not a limit. You don't see God. God doesn't say I match up to 6%. No, he says, whatever you put in the ground, whatever you put in the ground is going to come up as a harvest. And so what I find out is I have to have a constant conversation with God, a constant conversation with God. God, is there, is there anything else you want me to do? Is there any other way I can align my life financially with, with your will and your kingdom? Is there any other way I can make the gospel go forward? Because if I know, I know that if I put this in the ground willingly, I know without being under compulsion, I put this in the ground of the kingdom that it's going to return. And I'm not going to have to worry. I'm not going to have to fret about it because I know you'll provide for people who align with your will. And so I've already made a decision in my heart. And I'm not only making that decision, I'm constantly going back to him and saying, God, tell me something. Am I lined up? Am I lined up? Am I lined up? I've heard financial people say, you should talk about finances one minute for every hour you work during the week. Some of you went, oh, wow. So if you work 40 hours, you should sit down with your wife or whoever, not the bartender, but somebody, you know, you should have a 40-minute conversation about finances. When's the last time we talked to God about finances? Sometimes I can't make up my mind because I haven't had a conversation with the one I'm getting ready to support. It's like, it's almost like my kid coming to me and saying, hey, I need a hundred dollars for what? Uh, I'll just need it. You're going to have to give me a little time to think about it. I need it now. But I can't make a decision unless I have more information. I feel like God is doing that with us sometimes. Come to him, spur them up. I need something right now. For what? I can't really tell you. No. What if I was constantly having a conversation and my finances were aligned with his will in my life, I had already decided what I was going to do. I have already determined the harvest for later. Remember, if I sow generously, I'm determining a generous harvest. Now, remember the compulsion thing. These type of sermons get bad raps. Is there, it, I'm not going to ask you to stand up. Would there be anybody here for maybe the first, second time? I'm not going to ask you to stand up. Don't even raise your hand. Just look at me. <laughs> Don't embarrass anybody. Here's what happens. I've been doing this. I've been in church all my life. I've been on staff here at the church for 18 years. I know. Here's what happens. People have the idea, boy, all they talk about is money. All they talk, they just want your money. I heard a guy tweet one time. He, uh, it was a church I was following, and a guy said, um, he said, uh, it was, they had Saturday night services. He said, well, I'm making a decision whether I'm going to go to church or the club. They both want my money. And I thought, well, you might as well just go to the club then. 
So I, I know there's that idea that oh, the church wants your money, church wants your money, church wants your money. All they preach about is money. And, and if you've been coming here very long, you know that's not true here. But, but I know what happens on a Sunday like this. You invite somebody to church, they come, and, and then the, fir- the first sermon, oh, it's preaching about money. And you're like, oh, jeez, preach about money. Why can't he preach about God loves you? <laughs> so what happens is this. Anybody remember... Like English class in elementary school where you learn how to read? Reading class? Anybody remember that? Actually, raise your hand if you remember that. Anybody remember reading class? You went to class and they were like, okay, Billy, this is an A. <laughs> when you put an A with other letters, it spells a thing called a word. And you can talk and read and write and all that. And you learn that. Did you ever go to English class or reading class and go, you come home, you're like, mom, I think they're trying to compel me to read. Every time I go in that class, she's talking about it. She's talking about reading. She's talking about letters. And then I go to another class, she's talking about numbers. I think they're compelling me, and I don't think that's right. I'm not going back to that school until they stop trying to compel me to read. I'll make the choices here. I'll decide whether I want to read or not. Compel me to do that. My parents pay good tax money. I'll make up my own mind whether I want to read or not. Isn't that the most absurd thing you've ever heard? So watch this. The Bible talks a ton about money. So what happens is God is instructing us about the way we use our finances. And then we decry that the sermon is compulsion to give. Then we say, oh, well, the preacher is trying to trying to force me to give. No, I'm not. I'm trying to teach you how to read. There's, there's not a lot of difference between, it's not compulsion if it's an education. Amen? It's not compulsion if it's an education. You don't go to college and go, you, they're trying to compulse, there's so much pressure to do calculus, I can't stand it anymore. You paid for it! But we'll come to church and get a sermon that... That maybe roughs us up a little bit or maybe challenges us in a way and we go, oh, he just, he just wants my money. Just wants my money. No, no, no. God wants your heart. And when we realize it's got nothing to do with money. It's just another part of us lining ourselves up. By the way, the Bible talks a lot about sex. I did like seven weeks on sex and be like, hey man, jeez, he's talking about sex again. He's trying to compulse me. (laughs) Compel. Compel. So we get these ideas. All All the church wants is money. Let me say this, and this might sound abrupt. God God's will is going to happen whether you're involved or not. I'm talking about your reward. Because the uncanny thing, Job said it, no one can thwart your plans. We just make the decision whether we're included in them or not. And so this has nothing to do, this has nothing to do with compelling people to give more money. This has everything to do with the Bible teaching, if I put more in, more harvest comes out. You know what I realized? That, that this, this goes beyond any of your education. 
It goes beyond any of your socioeconomic status. It goes beyond anything that you think is holding you back in the moment. Do you realize that Paul does not say to the Corinthians, if you've got a college degree, God blesses you more. He doesn't say that. He says, he doesn't say, well, if you were raised in poverty, then you can't accomplish this right now. He doesn't say it because God knows what you're capable of no matter what stage of life you're in. So all he says is, if you'll be generous no matter what stage of life you're in, it indicates that your heart is bent towards me and I can always bless somebody that is bent towards me. So the harvest is guaranteed. And we're like, well, I didn't grow up that way. I've told you before, I, was, I joked about it first service. I grew up in a, I grew up extremely poor. I remember propping the front door open to get a good TV signal. We lived in a single wide trailer and we had one of those TVs that my dad made me stand beside <laughs> and tune. Put the front door open. Prop the front door. You think I'm kidding? I'm not making any of this up. We'd stick the storm door open on the front of the trailer and then I'd stand beside the TV and I'm telling you my age a little bit now and I'd turn Not to change the channel, but to dial in the station. Anybody remember that? Dial in the station. And then as soon as I got it dialed in, Dad would go, no, change the channel. (laughs) How long are we going to do this, Dad? Went to my grandmother, so the first time I saw a first remote I'd ever seen, it was a push button one where you push the button and click down in. I said, Dad, God has spoken. You need one of those. (laughs) Get me out of this child labor thing just standing there clicking 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 mom said she wanted to watch that I don't like you guys argue about it I can remember standing in a similar dwelling with my wife right after I started working here we were renting it for my grandparents and um, had mauve carpet didn't it I Purple carpet. Mauve was a gentle statement. Um, had purple carpet. And I remember she cried. I thought we were doing a good thing. And I went in and showed her this place. She just cried. And I said, thank you, Lord, for tears of joy. <laughs> this thing had purple carpet in the bathroom. I hadn't figured that out. It had purple counters, didn't it? Purple countertops. It's like somebody took a whole bunch of drugs and then went, let's design a place to live. (laughs) And so we lived there. I remember standing in the living room telling my wife, we will never own a house. I was probably 24 years old. I just started working here. I was making $10 an hour. And I don't care how far back you go, that ain't enough to support your family. And I can remember telling her, as though I had given up on life and God wasn't real, we'll never buy a house. It's not going to happen. And then I realized, God's economy doesn't matter how you were raised. God's economy doesn't, isn't dependent on your education. God's economy isn't dependent on where you came from or, or who told you you could do what or when you could do it. God's economy is solely based on how much you trust him. How much you trust him. 
that you would have jumped to the head of the line trusting more than everybody else. You want to test God? Malachi says it at the end of the Old Testament. And we just forget that he says it. He says, stop, stop withholding the tithes and offerings. Stop withholding your tithe. If you, will, if you will bring your tithe into the storehouse, he will open up a window of heaven and pour out a blessing on the you cannot contain. And Paul, all those years later, comes back and says, if you'll sow generously, he'll bring you a reward, and then he'll bring you on top of that. He's saying the same thing Malachi said all those years before. And he's saying, listen, if you will turn your hearts towards God in generosity and you will sow When you have time to sow, God will always supply for what you need and then in abundance to provide for the work that you continue to do. We get to determine what that looks like. And for me, sometimes that's a scary part. That whatever I'm reaping is a direct result of what I've been sowing. I just said something important. Whatever I'm reaping is a direct reflection on what I have been sowing. I have seen guys who have dropped out of college and made millions of dollars on the back of generosity. They knew how to align their hearts with God. They knew how to test God in finances. They knew how to give it away. And the crazy part of it is Proverbs 24 says it. Proverbs eleven twenty four. It says one person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. And then you fast forward all the way to Paul. And Paul saying, listen, the Jerusalem church is in trouble. And we're going to deliver them. We're going to save the day. And here's how we're going to do it. Do what you've already decided to do. And watch God bless you. And then not only will you be blessed, you will have blessed the Jerusalem church. And then he says, great thanksgiving to God will go up because of what you have done. And so here's the thing. You get to determine how much thanksgiving your life produces. (laughs) You get to determine how much thanksgiving your life produces. Paul said, because you do this, thanksgiving will be given to God for it. I can tell you what would have happened if they didn't do it. Corinthian church wasn't poor. The Macedonian church was poor, but they had already given a great deal. The Corinthian church wasn't poor. And you know what would have been said about them if they'd have been stingy. Them stingy, stinking, rich Corinthians. But Paul said, hey, you align yourself with God. Thanksgiving will be given up to you. Thanksgiving will be given on your behalf. He said, he said you're going to work this out through me and I'm going to deliver the gift and they're going to be thankful for you. So I started thinking, I'm the one that gets to decide how much thanksgiving to God my life produces. The more I align with his work in my life, the more I align with his will in my life, the more thanksgiving to God it produces. Remember, if you put it in sparingly, It's going to come out sparingly. I should never be shocked by the harvest. So I get to the place where I can lay my head down at night and sleep well because I know he promised what I needed will be provided and then in abundance to keep doing what I need to do. You decide and he provides. 
And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And then he repeats himself. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And both of those statements right there, he's saying, listen, God will bless you enough to keep it going and to even increase it if you will trust him. If you will trust him. Amen? We're taking an assessment. We get to decide. It's all kinds of things. I started thinking about the building we're currently in and how and how um, sometimes you're like, oh, this building's so small, it's laid out awkward. And I thought this week, Chris, you gotta stop saying that. Because there's a generation that came before you that sacrificed and gave and you're reaping the harvest for what they did. And now we have a building. I don't know, it's 70 degrees in here. Feels pretty good, everybody? Everybody happy? Okay. We have unbelievable kids wing back here. I have visitors come in. We have visitors all the time. I just had one this week. Came in, they walked back to back. They were like, whoa, man, this is amazing. You know what I did? Yeah, it's kind of weird to get to it. Instead of saying, yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Thank you, Lord. And so you realize that there was a generation of people that came before us that decided to build something that now we are, we are benefiting from. And so their sacrifice is still producing thanksgiving to God. Do you see how that works? And so if you want somebody to remember your name, you sow into the kingdom. You keep sowing and sowing and sowing and sowing and sowing. And when it, when it feels like you can't do anymore, just remember that God said he would provide over in abundance for you to keep doing it. And so as long as we're lining up with his will, if I want to be infamous, just keep sowing. And then people that have never met you before are going to stand in church and go, thank you, Lord, for their gift. People in Jerusalem would raise their hands and say, thank you for people we've never met before. There's a pastor in Africa right now in a Gimbo Pentecostal, a Gucha Pentecostal church. And there's people that have never laid eyes on you, but lift their hands on Sunday morning and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for their gift. And it wasn't done out of compulsion. It was because you made your mind up that you're going to align yourself with God's will. I'll tell you one, this one last story, stand to your feet, the band's going to come. This just happened to me, just happened to me. Listen, when I tell stories like this, it's not, I'm not going to give you financial numbers because what I give may be more than you, what I give may be less than you. You got to work that out. You got to work that out with with God, but it's got to be a... Here's what I've learned. If I want to consistently harvest, I have to consistently plant. I I don't know about you, but I don't want to starve next winter. I'm going to keep putting it in the ground. And so, my wife will tell you for the past couple months, um, outside of my job at the church, I'm a glorified maintenance man. Some of you laugh because you know me. I have a truck. And the backseat of my truck is constantly full of tools. Just constantly full of tools. And so if I want to carry somebody, I can't. I make the kids sit on the tools and they're not in their seat belt. And then you, you guys frown at me for being risky. 
And um, so I, there was something I needed for my truck to be able to manage all that stuff. And I was telling my wife, like, I'm going to, I'm, so I'm a frugal guy. So I started looking on Craigslist, a Facebook marketplace. Thank the Lord. And uh, a couple weeks ago, um, I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't recommend this, but I didn't even tell my wife. I just wrote a check out for the capital campaign. I didn't tell you, did I? Sorry. You're reaping a blessing you didn't even know about. <laughs> so, uh, so we're going to check out for it. She saw it later and just um, said, hey, this is, you know, this, this happened. And, and, and anyway, so I found a couple of these things that I needed on, on Facebook. And, and again, it might there's people in here that you wouldn't even have blinked. And there's some of you that would think, oh, I can't afford that. And, and I was just in a position where I was just going, oh, I don't know if I want to spend that much money, but it's the only one. And I had messaged a guy on Facebook for one of these things that was really cheap. And I would messaged another guy for one that was, I would pay it, but I didn't want to. And the only one that got back to me was a guy that I would pay it, but I didn't want to. So I was going to pull the trigger. So what happens is I'm ready to pull the trigger. The other guy gets back with me. I'm telling you, this is after like two and a half weeks. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking it's over. It's already sold. Not only does he get back to me, he says, just come get it. I want it out of the yard. And I was like, hey. <laughs> I never do that, by the way. So, um, so I'm like frantically mad. They probably thought I was a stalker at that point. I'm like, hey, just what's your address? When can I get it? And so yesterday... I put my son in the truck. I'm like, hey, we got to go get this thing. This is unbelievable. So this thing brand new costs like 1500 bucks. So I pull in his driveway. He's like, man, just back up. Just throw it. It's fine. Just take it. I'm selling everything. I'm getting rid of everything. I just got to go. And I just went. So we get in the truck. My son had no idea that I'd written a check a couple weeks ago. No idea. No idea. So if he was standing right here like he was in the first service, he would shake his head. Before we got out of the guy's driveway, I looked over at him. I said, listen, don't you mistaken, you little spoiled brat. This is the blessing of God. And he's looking at me like, well, I didn't do anything, Dad. No, I just said, listen. I said, what you don't know is I were to check out for more than what this, more than the most expensive one that I was going to get couple weeks ago because I believe the first thing that should happen is the gospel go forward and I want this building built more than anyone else and I just thought it was something we should supposed to do didn't even tell your mother and and so he's like looking at me and I said this thing was free today and it's not a coincidence you can't just chalk it up to being lucky on Facebook because when you sow Put it in the ground. He knows what you need. Put it in the ground. He knows what you need. Put it in the ground. He knows what you need. Put it in the ground. He knows what you need. What do you do? Put it in the ground. He knows what you need. And so, so then I, wa- I was walking around the rest of the day almost feeling guilty. Like, maybe I should call the guy up and write him a check. And I just thought, God, this was you. Thank you for it. 
I'm going to make sure my kids know it. This is how God works. It's how he works. It's how he works. Father, I pray this morning that we just align ourselves with you in this season. Not out of compulsion, Lord. Not, not just not just last minute, just feeling guilty, but Lord, we just align ourselves with you. And we would see that your promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. That there's nothing you've promised us that if we align ourselves with you and fulfill our portion of it, that you won't make true in our lives. And so I pray this morning, God, that we would do that in our finances. Lord, that we would test you in this. Lord, that we would prove that you're true. We would prove it out, Lord. And through our generosity, God, that there would be generations of people that would lift up thanks to you because there came a church along that felt, that realized that generosity, serving, Lord, giving, produced thanksgiving to you, God. We thank you for it. And God, we honor you because of the opportunity you've given us here. Thank you in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Come on, church. Could you honor him this morning? He's worthy of it. He's good.